Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Therapy. I'm your host, Rosemary Burns. I can't hear myself very well in my headphones this time, so I hope, let me see, if I play with volume, will it go up? I don't know which one is even my headset, but, oh, there we go. That's much better. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you all heard me in the in the beginning. Um, but if you didn't, then I'm just going to start over. So um, welcome to Let's Talk Therapy. Um, interesting little technical difficulties in this morning, and it's my own my own doing. I didn't turn the volume up, but it's all good. So um, welcome back after the Thanksgiving holiday. I think it's always kind of hard to get back into the the normal routine after being off. Um, hopefully, you were able to enjoy some time off over the past couple of days. Um, and last week, and I hope that, again, you had safe travels and, you know, were safe when you were visiting family, if you were able to visit family and survive the the possibly not so happy home for the holidays. Um, but hopefully they were, they were good. They were good enough. I hope so. Um, so just a little bit of housekeeping um, before we get into it. So I think for the rest of this year, I'm going to do an episode today and I'm going to do an episode next week to kind of wrap things up before we get into um, the start of the Christmas holidays. Um, because for myself, I know that the the weeks, the couple of weeks before um, school lets out um, in this area um, for the Christmas holidays, it, I am always just crazy busy um, with all kinds of stuff, whether it's, you know, normal uh, annual doctor's appointments and stuff for myself, which, you know, wellness things, which is important for good self-care. Um, I have those kind of things that always come up right around the holidays. I don't know why that they're all scheduled. They're always scheduled like that every year. Um, and then just um, people typically always want to get in and, and see their therapist before we break for the holidays for, um, you know, usually the kids are out for about two weeks. Um, and, and yeah, they always, I'm usually slammed and I'm grateful for that, um, that I can be there to, to help people. But since that's going on, um, I think this is a good time to kind of wrap up for wrap up the podcast for this year and then come back fresh, um, at the turn of the year where it will not be 2020 anymore. Thank goodness. Um, okay, so today's topic, I actually do have notes. We'll see how I do um, because um, it, I will be honest, it was difficult to, um, to bring myself, uh, to make myself focus, to do um, notes, even though I know it's important to do the notes because it usually keeps me on track better and I always feel more organized when I do notes. Um, but, you know, again, coming back from being able to sleep in and... Um, you know, not, again, not really having to be anywhere. Um, it's, it's good to rest. It's good to rest. And so we'll see how this goes because I I didn't really want to focus on, on these notes. Um, but what I wanted to talk about this, this week, um, before we do a wrap up next week is chronic health issues and mental health. Um, so when I'm talking chronic health issues, I'm not talking, you know, you get a cold and maybe you're out for a few days. And I'm honestly, I'm not even talking necessarily about COVID, although still we don't know um, the serious long-term effects of COVID. Um, We know that, um, at least right now, we know 
and the last that I heard is it last can last, you know, anywhere from 10 days, 14 days. Um, but we don't know the long-term effects. I've heard some people say that, you know, they, they tested positive and then were good to go back to work and everything, but they still have difficulties breathing and it's been like months later. And these are isolated incidents. And I, I will be honest, I have not um, kept up on the research for COVID, but I'm, what I'm saying for the podcast is that I'm not talking about COVID um, for chronic health issues. I'm talking about things like uh, chronic diseases, um, and there's many, um, but I'm going to just list a few. Things like Parkinson's disease, um, multiple sclerosis or MS, um, muscular dystrophy, um, things like COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. I think that's what those letters stand for. I'm almost positive that's what they stand for. Um, and other kinds of illnesses that stay with you long term, um, whether there's no necessarily no cure for them or um, they can be managed fairly decently with medicines and treatment and stuff like that. You still have a chronic a long-term health issue. And I wanted to talk about, you know, their, their relationship maybe is a good way to say it with, um, mental health because there are a whole other, like when I say use the word comorbid, that means there is at least two different medical issues going on at the same time. Um, so, That's what we're talking about, chronic health issues and mental health. So it's very interesting because when you, um, when you are seriously ill, um, even though the symptoms vary on, on all kinds of these, these diseases, they can be linked to different kinds of mental health issues. In fact, there's a whole, um, subset of, um, I don't know if you'd call it a subset, but there's, there's a whole, um, diagnostic criteria for pretty much, well, the one that pops up in my head right now is, you know, major depression, major depression or major depressive disorder, um, where you could have major depressive disorder due to a general medical condition. And, um, you know, that you can have general anxiety due to a general medical condition. And and this is what I'm talking about. Um, now, you know, when somebody's actually diagnosing someone, you can actually put, well, major depressive disorder due to um, Parkinson's disease. Um, I'm just throwing that one out there as, as um, an example. Um, because when you have chronic health issues, and you're dealing with symptoms and however that affects you day in and day out for a long, I'm not talking weeks, I'm talking months, years, maybe the rest of your life, that can definitely cause mental health issues or be related to mental health issues. Sometimes some of the symptoms that go along with um, the actual medical problem are symptoms of mental health issues such as low appetite, poor sleep, sleep disturbance, um, hot flashes. I mean, there, there's all kinds that, you know, the list would be long. Um, but some of the things um, to consider is, well, okay, so someone has to deal with this for years and years, and it may develop into 
a mental health problem. So people experience things such as irritability. Maybe it seems like um, their personality changes, and, and oftentimes it's the caregiver who notices um, these changes. Oftentimes the person who's experiencing the symptoms doesn't realize, especially um, when you take into account medicines um, and uh, treatment options and stuff and, and the side effects or even just the effects it can have on, on the body and the brain. So people might experience things like irritability, disturbed sleep, appetite changes, memory problems, feelings of isolation, uh, feelings like they are a burden, um, anxiety, helplessness, and hopelessness, and even suicidal thoughts. Uh, many of those symptoms that I just listed are also the same symptoms that are required to get a diagnosis of major major depression. Major, I can't say that that diagnosis today. I guess because it's Monday, and I'm not used to not used to talking. Major depressive disorder. There we go. Um, so yeah, a lot of those symptoms are actually the same um, that are in a major depressive disorder or major depressive episode. Um, and so people who are having these chronic health issues can also experience major depression or serious anxiety, panic attacks. Um, can occur in some of these things, especially if they start experiencing symptoms and maybe they haven't been diagnosed with whatever the chronic health issue is um, because the not knowing um, can be really scary. And so um, the interesting thing is since it, there's a medical condition going on is, you know, when you're talking about diagnosing and stuff like that, um, yeah, you need to have um, a medical doctor or a psychologist or mental other mental health professional to diagnose um, the, the mental health portion of it. And so once that happens, um, when someone is diagnosed with a chronic men, uh, chronic health issue, it and I you know, I will also say maybe they're diagnosed with a chronic mental health issue. Um, there are some serious, serious diagnoses such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and clinical um, major depressive disorder that can be with somebody their entire life. Um, now, granted, like I said, there's treatments, there's medications that can help with the symptoms, but something like schizophrenia does not go away, at least not right now. There's no cure for it. Um, now, I know, again, medical technology and research is continuously finding new treatments for things. Um, you know, if you just look at the, the, um, the history of treatment options, and I'll just keep specifically to the treatment of mental health issues, the medicines and stuff that used, that we used to use back in the day, even before I was born, have really progressed to um, much better treatment options. Um, I know I've talked about that before um, when we talked about like one flew over the cuckoo's nest and um, also um, in the mouth of madness. That, that one, I, I may have messed up the title because I'm not, that one I'm not as familiar with. But when we talked about psychosis and being forced to go inpatient um, into a psychiatric hospital, um, like I said, the, the medical technology and the treatment um, progress that it has occurred over the years has been just wonderful. And so oftentimes people who experience 
these, um, you know, serious mental health issues like psychosis and having psychotic symptoms, um, you would never even know. You would never even know as long as they're taking their medicine. Um, so something to, something to think about. But being diagnosed with something like this can be extremely life-changing. Hence, it's called, I, want, I almost said duh. Oh my goodness, it is seriously a Monday after a holiday. <laughs> that, um, you know, you're with, it can change your life because all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I have this now for the rest of my life unless they develop a cure. And so it's very common for people to kind of enter the stages of grief. Many people have heard of that, but just for those of you who may not have ever heard of the stages of grief, that is actually um, a, I guess, terminology or research that was developed by, um, her name is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and when she came up with her her um, idea of the stages of grief, she basically said there was five stages. Now, I've seen recently where they kind of uh, get more specific and kind of have broken um, the five stages up into like seven, and there's kind of maybe a little sub sub stage in like within one of the major five stages. Um, but for this podcast, I'm going to talk about Kubler-Ross's five stages. So they happen to be denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And the one thing to um, learn about this is that these stages are not linear. What that means is they don't go like, oh, denial is first, and then it goes to anger, and then bargaining, depression, and acceptance. No, that's not what the stages of grief are like. Um, they're essentially, I would, if I was to like draw them out, I would probably draw them out as like a circle or five of them would be what, like a five-sided figure. I don't remember my geometry. So yeah, a five-sided thing figure with them all kind of trying to, um, wow, that would be, boy, if I really did draw that out, because you can go from each stage to each other stage. And I guess I'd probably put like acceptance in the middle um, or maybe on the outside, maybe on the outside. Because like if I had tried to draw an arrow from like denial to the four other ones, wow, that would be kind of a messed up, very hard to read picture. Um, but again, the important thing to know is that it's not linear. You can go from denial to depression to anger to bargaining back to denial um and you know all any combination you can essentially think of um and they can last however long they last somebody might be in the stage of bargaining for months and months and months um and somebody might be in the stage of depression for maybe just two weeks Everybody is different. Individual differences. I've talked about that a lot. Um, but yes, you'll go through all of the stages and maybe twice, three times, who knows, until you get to the point of acceptance. What does acceptance mean? That doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, I just like lay over and accept the fact that I'm going to die. Um, no, not necessarily. I think of it more as... Um, being able to come to terms with what is going on, uh, what your health issues are, and what that means for 
for treatment, even future treatment, um, and being okay with it. Now, I'm not saying you like it. I'm not saying that, um, you know, it doesn't suck, but just being like, okay, I understand what's going on and I'm going to live my life to, you know, the best that I can for whatever stage of the illness I'm in. That's how I view acceptance. Um, and so once you get to acceptance, that, of course, if you think about all of the other stages, that's, I would say, the healthiest, um, for lack of a better word, um, because it's, I mean, it's kind of just in how you say it. I accept the fact that this is going on and there's not, I can't change that I have whatever I have. There's, you know, again, acceptance. There's, of course, you can have hope that medical research will come up with a cure. Um, but like I said, it's ac- accepting and living your life the best that you can with whatever time you have left in whatever stage of health you're in. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of, that's, that's where my notes run out. Um, but so very difficult kind of topic to talk about because it it is so, you know, nobody likes to see somebody, um, I'm going to air quote that you can't see supper, um, with chronic mental, chronic, I keep saying chronic mental health. Um, but it rings true for that too. So chronic health issues or chronic mental health issues. Um, oftentimes it is a lot more difficult. I mean, I won't say a lot more difficult, but, but difficult for the caregiver as well as the person who is sick. Um, and that's why it's so important to practice good self-care, especially if you are the caregiver. Um, and even if you're the person who is who has the illness, whatever the illness is, the better you take care of yourself, well, the better quality of life you can have, however long your lifespan may be. Um, and that involves, yes, going to doctor's appointments. And, um, if you can have a therapist, having a therapist as part of your treatment team is, um, very beneficial, um, total holistic approach to, um, whatever is going on. Um, the more, uh, like perspectives you can have on whatever is going on, whatever the illness is, well, the better chance for coming up with a great treatment regimen that can prolong your life or make whatever, um, however long your life is again, a better quality. Um, so that's for the person who, who is ill for the caregivers, of course, you know, day in and day out, having to take care of somebody, um, who, you know, used, maybe used to be independent, used to be able to do all of their own things that maybe now requires you to have to, you know, help them get from room to room. Um, maybe, um, they can't, um, cook for themselves anymore. Um, maybe they can't drive anymore. Um, there, there's a, there is a major loss of independence sometimes when there is serious health issues. And so being the caregiver, again, you almost lose some of your independence because you can't just be, well, oftentimes you can't just be like, okay, I'm going here and leave the person, that 
you know, used to be able to leave them for days, not days on end, um, for hours, um, you may not be able to do anymore. They may not be able to be by themselves for an hour, even maybe even 30 minutes. Um, and so, yeah, it becomes very, it can become very taxing and very draining on the caregiver. And that's not saying anything bad about the caregiver. Um, and oftentimes there's a lot of inappropriate guilt. There's anger, there's shame, um, because they, you know, caregivers can get tired and that's just normal human. Um, I have worked with a lot of clients who, who are caregivers for, um, whether it was a spouse or a parent who, um, became really incapacitated, um, stroke, um, stroke victim, um, let's see, a heart attack. I'm trying to think some of the other ones. Um, just, um, now uh, they're the two that come to my mind. Um, and you know, it's very, it was very common for the clients experiencing anxiety and worry and, um, you know, trying to make sure they do all their medicines correctly, um, or give them, oh, give them maybe insulin shots, which is something they never had to do before. There's, there's a lot to it. And so there's no shame in feeling overwhelmed or, um, like you're over your head or like you need help. And so one of the best things that you can do is get somebody, um, who is, a support person for you, someone who might be able to hook you up with, um, some, some places can offer home health, like a, a, a home nurse, um, that might come in and help take care. There's also something called respite care. If you've never heard of respite care, um, sometimes that's when you can get a professional to come in and help take care of whoever the, um, the person is who has the illness while you actually get to go rest. Um, you know, you can, go take it's essentially like taking a day off um so you can look into that kind of stuff again it's called respite care um and that can be so so helpful for caregivers um you know I know I've said this before if you can't take care of yourself like if you don't take care of yourself and you start to get wore out and and burnt out you're not going to take good care of the person that you want to take care of um, and it, begin, it begins to cause a huge cycle of inappropriate guilt and shame, which is not needed. Um, it's understandable, but you don't need to do that to yourself because um, you're taking care of the person, um, hopefully taking care of the person as best as you can. And again, we're all human. We all have limits and we all have thresholds until it's it becomes too much. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that either. Um, but... Having good support, having a good support team in place can um, really extend out that threshold, extend out um, what you're able to to take on um, while you're trying to help the, the person. So that being said, okay, uh, hopefully I spread some, some information and on an interesting topic that I hadn't talked about at all over the, um, this podcast uh, the po- podcast series is what I'm saying. Um, and I hope that brings you some some enlightenment and some knowledge and maybe some hope if you are in the position of um, either the person who was diagnosed with a chronic health issue or a caregiver of someone with a chronic health issue. 
and I wish you all the best. And again, next week we will do our, our wrap up for the year. And, um, I, I will talk about what I have planned or at least the infancy of what I have planned for the beginning of next year. And let's wrap up 2020. Yes. Wrap up 2020 and get to the new year. All right. I wish you all a blessed week and I'll talk to you soon. 